Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I have with me an old friend, Jerome Myers. Jerome is an award-winning engineer, investor, mentor, and business strategist who helps founders navigate their exit paradox through his masterminds and coaching programs. Prior to leaving his corporate leadership position, Jerome built a $20 million, 175-person division of a Fortune 500 company from scratch. He now uses his project management, engineering, and business expertise to advise business leaders on key areas such as leadership strategy, process improvement, sales, and data analytics in real estate, financial services, business services, and healthcare. And Jerome's been on the show before. He and I talk pretty frequently over text and LinkedIn. One of the more thoughtful people in the space. And we have a lot of overlap between just folks we know in the world, especially real estate. So it's always good to have you come on and hear what you've been talking about. Before we went live, we were kind of chatting about some of the work that I've been doing personally and sharing with the LinkedIn community about my wellness journey and kind of the perils of success, as I would yeah. call it, or maybe intertwined with this loneliness dilemma or yeah. issue that a lot of us are facing. So I don't know. What's on your mind, man? What you've what you been working on? Well, first, I just want to say thank you, Brian. I can't think of a time where I reached for you, you didn't reach back. And I think for a lot of people who see themselves as apex performers, reaching is very difficult. We see ourselves as source. We pride ourselves on being independent and resourceful. And we don't always believe that the resources that are at our disposal are other people. I think a lot of us feel like that reach is vulnerable and it might be seen as weak or soft or uh, helpless or whatever word you want to insert that's got a negative connotation to it. And 
I kind of believe, no, I don't kind of believe, I believe it's the opposite. I think it takes courage. I think it takes strength in order to do that stuff. And the older I get, the bigger problems I have to deal with, the more I realize that having the right people around you is the difference. If your problems are something that you can handle by yourself, then you're probably not playing a big enough game. And it, it took a long time for me to realize that. But as holdings have grown, as businesses have grown, I've realized that the most inefficient and ineffective way to work through the challenges is to try to figure it out on your own. There's other people who've been on the journey and they figured it out. And it's easy for us to believe that we're the only one going through what we're going through. Because we watch these highlight reels, LinkedIn isn't as bad as maybe LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, but it's still pretty bad. A closing here, a promotion there, you might be sitting in that space and you feel a little stuck. You, you might feel like, oh, they grew faster than me. They may have more AUM or their net worth might be bigger. They had a better summer vacation or something. Like insert whatever thing that you're using to measure yourself. and. I know what it's like. I've been there. I know what it's like to touch the bottom of the pool. And so like, I've, I've just been following your journey and trying to support as I can, as you'll allow, because you gotta be very careful about who you let into that space. And I just watch a lot of people pretend. I watch a lot of people go super deep and then they share tidbits. And I think that's what you've been doing, man. And I just think it's cool because people are responding to it. It resonates. Yeah, I mean, we were recording this kind of early May, and I put a post out about my motivation and my thought process behind going back to therapy, psychotherapy. And it was, I drafted that post like two months ago. Wow. And my marketing people said, Be careful. This, is really, this is really good. Like, you should do this. And I post my own stuff. And every week I would look at it in my draft file and I just couldn't pull the trigger on it. Well, and yeah, I just felt super uncomfortable with it and I'm glad I did, but I really struggled to get there to be able to put it out there. So why do you feel comfortable? Because I think the words you say are going to be so people, whoever's listening to this, is, they're going to be shaking their head because it's common among every apex performer. We've, we found five things that. For me, I check all five boxes, but I very rarely find somebody that's done, who's uncommon amongst the uncommon people, to use my David Goggins quote, who hasn't, who don't check the box for three. So why'd you feel uncomfortable? Because I'm finding patterns of experiences with people. Yeah. And I'm trying to be better about using very tight, specific adjectives to describe my emotions. So when I wrote that piece, and then when I would review it, I would read it and I would feel shame and yeah. self-hatred, disappointment, yeah. fear, admission of weakness or defeat on some level. And those are not things that we would typically celebrate as a 40-year-old white guy Any living guy. a life. Yeah. But in our in my like socioeconomic community especially, these are not things that are discussed yeah. openly. Yeah. And so when it's associated with somebody who's like exiting a company because the feelings are the same, we call it the founder's exit paradox. And so 
everything on the surface looks like I should be extremely happy. Everything on the surface looks like everything is working out just as it should. There's so many people who would trade places with me in the blink of an eye, but it's not that. But I have these other feelings, but maybe I'm, I feel like I'm behind on where I should be, but I could have done this better, but insert whatever thing you want to insert because it's there. And it's not that I'm not grateful. It's not that I don't appreciate all this happened for me. It's that I know there's more. And I know that there's pressure from people who love me to do even more. And so when I talk, think about the five things that the majority of Apex performers have, it's losing somebody when they're young, death that they were close to. There's some suicidal ideation or depression at some point. And that's usually tied to the pressure to perform, which most people don't talk about. Like once you have some success, the expectation that you continue to have success and bigger success mounts. And even if nobody says anything to you directly, you can just tell that the expectation is that it gets bigger, right? You got a hundred million in the assets under management. Okay. When are you going to get the two? Right. You got married. When are you going to have the next baby? Like there, people are always looking for the next step in the progression. I'll never forget getting the 10,000 followers on LinkedIn and like, okay, that's good enough. No, you got to keep going. Why? Well, you just do. And so it's a perpetual treadmill. And the goalpost moves every time you make the kick. There's this, people won't like it, but there, the third one is this people-pleasing thing that goes in, which goes to the pressure to perform. But we've, we were taught that our value is tied to what we do for people, what, how we can make their life better. Like, that's how we get love. And I don't know if that's true. And I've got two little girls. And so I'm being really intentional about when I express and what I say I love them for as a result of that, because I don't want them in that place where basically they can be kind of tugged around. If you do this, then you'll be good enough. And that's the shame and the worthiness thing coming into play. So I'll start with those three and just see if you, any of that resonated as a part of what you've been experiencing. Yeah, man, it's pretty eerie. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I did not lose anyone young. I did not experience that loss, but certainly, like I said in this, in my post, I have had acute depressive episodes and certainly suicidal ideation associated with that. And one of the things that I've been working through is kind of what you pointed out, which is close relationships in my life that the psychic capital and the emotional capital was tied to accomplishments. In other words, it, conditional relationships based on performance in the classroom or on the field or elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty, but also kind of the downside of sport, right? It, it's all about production. And you know, me and my girls have been having a conversation fairly regularly about professional sports now because they want to know, did you ever want to play pro football? And why is it the way it is? And just kind of going down the line of exploring 
like the different paths and what people actually appreciate and value. And so I've noticed more and more that people who have success don't feel like they can actually talk about the way that they're feeling. They can't do it with their romantic partner, don't feel comfortable going to the father figure or the male figure in their world because their generation would say that kind of thing is soft. And so how'd you get the courage to go on this journey? And then I think the next step is to be open about going on that journey because I admire it and I applaud it because it's to your point in your circle is not accepted for a lot of people. My, when I first started with, I, I knew I had to have somebody to talk to, right? So I think just going to see my therapist on a weekly basis was really the starting point. In terms of all these other things, we, I spoke with him initially for a long time about whether or not I am an alcoholic. I've had issues with alcohol and it continues to be a difficult relationship for me. And so he had me read the blue book. Do you know what the blue book is? From AA? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like an addictive like personality is another common trait for apex performers. It's the ability to like fixate on the thing. It's the addiction to the dopamine. And it doesn't matter like what substance you're using to get the release. It's just part of the deal. But I'm sorry. Well, and it's often workaholism, which masks a lot of your personal problems or problems at home if you're especially if you're a really high performer and that's a very socially acceptable way to to spend your time is being a workaholic and putting those hours in and traveling and that's everyone applauds that right i mean my dad who is a grinder lawyer that would be an admirable thing to tell him that i did but yeah, so I read the testimonials, which people don't know. You can just look them up online. Just Google AA Blue Book and they have these testimonials of the founder and these other people that they've selected and curated. And the stories are very powerful and just horrific. And so I, re- I realized that if I continued on a path that I was, that like these, I could lose these things that I ended up caring about. And I'm now 40. And the leading cause of death for my cohort is suicide and accidental overdoses. And it's like Peter Atia says, if if you can just like help one person, I think that's worth putting yourself out there. And what you realize once you get past the discomfort is like your point, everyone that you think is quote unquote crushing it, they will message you and they will call you and they will text you and they will send you things and they will say, I am struggling. I am not in a good place. Thank you for putting some resources out there. Because it does feel like it's just you. And part of that is we really struggle with having deep, meaningful relationships at this age and our generation. And it can be very isolating, even though you have 22,000 followers on LinkedIn. When it's Tuesday night and you're at a hotel somewhere at a bar, it doesn't feel like that. I promise you. I, I was at a conference this week and the guy talked about how we're replacing meaningful interactions and conversations with likes. 
right? And so they're, you're liking a message. Like, I think the worst thing that we could have done was a tap back on a message instead of, even if it was the two letters, thank you, or YW, you're welcome. That seems to me to be better than a thumbs up. And he was going through making the noise that the phone makes whenever you do one of those reactions. But in a world where you're so connected conceptually, there is no connection. There, there isn't real depth or meaning. And it, for me, observing and being in the, in the passenger seat for a lot of folks who are on this journey, it's lonely in a room full of people. Nobody's actually reaching out to say, hey, how are you doing? It's what can you do for me? And what have you done for me lately type situation? It, it becomes so transactional. And so do you think that we struggle with the meaningful relationships because we fear letting people get close enough to know what we're actually going through? Or is it something totally different? We don't have time. Hey, I've thought about this. I don't think we were ever taught how to do it. And I think it's a learned skill. And if you grew up kind of how I grew up, it was okay to have these deep relationships up through college. But then after school, you were expected to perform. And everything took a backseat. And perform means make money. Perform means make money and live the Instagram life. Where did your vacation this year? Did you fly private? Did you? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this. Like the only thing I think, yeah. Yeah, there is a, within that population set, there is a seeking of something. And going to these places and traveling or having the stuff is I think it's part of like we were taught by society or our culture that once you hit these milestones that you would be happy right like the the watch ad or like the alcohol ads or the like the home improvement ads like once you have the xyz house or the beach house or the plane or whatever like there will be satisfaction and happiness there. And I've found that to be completely opposite to what the experience has been. Of, totally empty. Yeah. And you mentioned the hedonic treadmill, yeah. right? There is no end to it. It just keeps going. And where I struggle is, I think it's healthy to recognize that and talk about it. And I still think it's important to work hard and have intentionality and have For goals sure. and to be driven. I'm just not sure the end game should be what it was for everybody that was told that 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think so. So what I found is that many of us chase the wrong F and it's the one society teaches us to chase. We chase financial freedom. We chase prosperity and we think that's going to fix all of the stuff but it doesn't. And we very quickly turn from that and we say, okay, so what now? And what was it all for? And is this really it? And then it goes to, I want my life to matter. I want fulfillment. 
and finding a way to serve people and solve whatever problem we want to eradicate from the face of the planet is the only place that I find that people find solace. We've put together a free resource available exclusively to our podcast listeners. If you're looking for strategies to safeguard your portfolio against inflation, you want to check out our latest guide on the best alternative investments to consider. Head to ExcelsiorGP.com slash download to learn more. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason people find religion in their middle ages. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, people want a deeper meaning. And I think the longer you live and the more that you experience and talk to people, there's something reassuring about a set of beliefs or a, a doctrine or a dogma that has no explanation or rationale. I think it's actually freeing for a lot of people. Well, it takes the pressure off of you. There is right? no, there's no, there is no AUM or square footage. Like that's not the point, right? And so if I go back into the five triggering events that I think take people on that trajectory to be an apex performer, right? We talked about the mental health struggles. We talk about the loss of a loved one early on, and then the feelings of never being good enough. And then the other two are total financial loss and a near-death experience. And so for me, I've checked off five bucks, right? And the total financial loss thing it's called, for me, it's called financial trauma. I don't think you'll find that in the DSM or any of the books that the, the doctors use that work on mental health, but I think it is true trauma and people will do things that are totally irrational in order to make sure that they never experience that pain again. And so you can be worth eight figures and be scared that you're going to be sleeping under a bridge if you don't do this or that right. And so then you start hoarding money. Scrooge McDuck was something that I laughed about a lot as a kid, but I see a lot of Scrooge McDucks in, in real life. And it's really interesting to watch that. And as I start to connect the dots on this journey, realize that is only there because they're hiding something or they're running from something, one of the two. That is not a belief of abundance. And they are captive to the money. They've acquired so much only to become a slave to it. And that for me is, makes me sad. I don't have another way to describe it because it's littered with worry. It's, lit, it's laced with fear and it should be freeing because, I mean, that's what they told us. When we got started on the journey. So what have you found that helps when you tell people? So we go to base camp and we find the thing that once they, because I mean, you have to put your mask on first in no way, shape or form. Am I suggesting that we don't need money in no way, shape or form? Am I suggesting that we shouldn't be capitalists or prosperity isn't a part of the game? I just don't think it's the ultimate level. And so we go back to core and we figure out what is the thing that you're really passionate about, not the thing that you chose because you knew it made money. Because I, I think talented people more often than not, if they have been indoctrinated with the programming that I think is poisoning many of us, we choose the thing that pays the best. 
not the thing that we think matters the most, at least early on. And, and we rationalize it with, well, I got to take care of my family. I got to keep up with my college roommate. I've got to outdo whatever my high school friends did because that's what I'm supposed to do. But there comes a point where I think you reach a financial goal. And instead of pushing it out further, you get the chance to buy your freedom and spend your time on the thing that you feel is going to move the needle. I think we all been placed here to do a specific thing, to solve a specific problem or open a door that was previously closed. And in not doing that, because we're addicted to the money that comes from this other thing, we do the world a disservice. And we're preventing the evolution. We're preventing the elevation that we're an integral part of creating. And it that's what I believe helps, is having a purpose that's bigger than keeping the scoreboard of what's in the mutual fund account or the assets under management or whatever word you want to insert, number of days off, et cetera. And you advocate for people to make a change professionally? Once they've hit their goal, if they're not an in purpose and on purpose, how can you not? So if you have a number and you hit that number and then you go on a journey of discovery, figure out what. I think you should be going on the journey along the way. The number is only from my perspective, right? And I know we've got a, in this country, we've got a long history of shadow slavery, right? Um, Indenture servitude. But from my perspective, the number is just to buy your freedom papers so that you can go out and do the thing unencumbered. There's so many people who feel like they can't do the thing that they're supposed to do because they have a family. And it's the whole reason why they need to do the thing. It's all a matter of how you raise it, how you, how you view the fact. But no, I, once you hit your number and you know that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you wouldn't do the thing that you're doing for free, you probably shouldn't be doing that. So what is the thing that you would be doing? What would you be working on? Like what fascinates you? What in some instances makes your blood boil? You just think it's so wrong and you want it fixed and you have the ability to fix it, but you know, it's not the highest and best use of your skills from a compensation standpoint. We're not talking about impact for most of the time. We're, we're talking about compensation. And with that said, like, when in our model, like level three is work. And so we want people to have inspired work. That's income, that's impact, that's influence, and that's interest. If you can get those four eyes, right? Each one's a circle, it's a Venn diagram. If you can get those four eyes to intersect, you'll be inspired. You'll be excited to go into work. But we found when one or more of those eyes are missing, you end up with these conditions that are less than optimal. And more often than not, if the income is there, you just continue doing it. But you're not stimulated. You're not interested anymore. Or you don't have influence. So you don't actually have connection with the people that you're serving. Or your impact, if you didn't do it, nobody would care. But somebody figured out how to make it pay. So you continue to do it. The world becomes so much bigger than the car, the house, and the retirement account or the inheritance. Once you realize what it feels like to help and actually serve the people that you're placed here to serve. Because I, 
I believe every person has been placed here to serve a specific group of people. And we have to be authentic and courageous enough to actually be open so that they can find us and actually like plant the flag and say, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I've been through. If you judge me, that's okay. It's just my journey. Yeah, I assume you've done this work yourself. You feel like you've you're doing what you're doing. I'm the guinea pig, man. Yeah. I'm the guinea pig. And yeah, I have. And I've done it wrong. Right. I've I remember when I first left corporate. I mean, I left corporate. I know you left law, but I left corporate. I didn't make any money for a year. Right. The thought was I would just serve people and that was enough. I just wanted to make impact. So all I wanted, I wanted my life to matter. I didn't want to do things that just paid well anymore. In fact, I, I tried to make it so I didn't do anything for money. And what I realized on that journey was if I'm solving problems for the right people, I shouldn't have to worry about how I eat or my family eats. And that's when things changed because prior to that, I wasn't actually getting results. There wasn't permission. There wasn't transaction. And the transformation is in the actual transaction. So, because people follow where they send their resources, right? the investment of time, money, or the talent is the thing that makes people commit at a level where they actually are willing to do whatever it takes in order to get the outcome. Yeah, I, it's just hard, I know, for myself to hold those two concepts simultaneously in my head of like the doing good and doing well. I mean, I know there's this idea of venture philanthropy and impact investing and B Corps, but I don't know, it just doesn't, it seems, it seems illusory, like to be able to do both. This, so I don't believe that you do it philanthropically. Like the thing that you're supposed to be doing, the problem that you want solved is one that I believe for everyone can be run as a business, right? A for-profit deal. The challenge sometimes is the community that you want to serve and their capacity to pay. But there is a way, I haven't encountered a situation where there wasn't a way where people could be compensated very well in, in times better than they were doing the thing that paid from the start. You feel like you've achieved that? 1,000%. Multiple, mul last year I made multiple of what I made when I was running a $20 million division for a Fortune 550. Yeah. I looked up at one point and I couldn't believe what had happened. And for everybody that I've worked with, it's when they make that transition, it's like, why didn't I do this sooner? It hurts in the front when you're figuring it out. But once you actually figure out how it monetizes, you question why you did any of the other stuff. And then if you can monetize it well enough and there's people who can't afford to do the thing, then you have more flexibility with your time to do other stuff at little to no fee. Well, it's inspiring. I mean, it's aspirational. It's good to know it's out there. I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. And I'm glad to hear you're doing so well. It makes my heart full to see it. Well, but it's available for you too. And for every listener who's committed to going on that journey, 
I it's terrifying the thought of leaving the security behind, right? But if you swim to the bottom of the pool and you touch the bottom of the pool, it's not so deep anymore. If you run the mile at a time faster than you ever run it, your heart pounding and the breathing hard isn't as terrifying as it was before. If you truly have achieved that target that you set financially, you owe it to yourself to explore, to see if you can find fulfillment, because that's the only thing that's there. After that, more money is, at some point, the money, like, even if you add a zero behind your net worth, it's not going to matter. Even if you add a zero behind your income, it's not going to matter. Okay. Could you buy a bigger boat? Yeah. Could you get a faster plane? Sure. Could you buy another car? Yeah. Could you go on another vacation? Probably not because you're caught in the quagmire of whatever you're doing to make the money. And so when we talk about level five in our model, prosperity, and people say, well, I've got money, but I don't have time or treasure, but I don't have time. Well, you're not truly prosperous. Or they say, I've got time, but I, I don't have treasure or I don't get to use my talent. You're not truly prosperous. So again, it's another Venn diagram. Time, talent, and treasure need to overlap. You need to be using those well. And if you have it out of balance, I strongly encourage you to consider making a, a, a reallocation to the portfolio because we deserve more. We aren't the talented 10th for nothing. Not to suffer and not to suffer in silence for sure. Like we, we deserve to enjoy it. What's the talent of tenth? So I believe that there's a small percentage of the population that makes it move, right? There's this theory about the square root of the number of people, like salespeople. If you've got 100 salespeople, uh, 10%, 10 of them will be the ones that um, make it over 50% of the revenue, or you talk about Pareto's principle where 20% are responsible for 80% of the result. Well, if you take that 20% to a lower, like you just go to the top 10% of the 20%, they're going to account for more than 50% of the result. And so we're the talented tenth are the people who are making society, we're making the enterprises go. We're the people they want to have the ball when the game's on the line, right? You think about Jordan, you think about Kobe, if we just use sports, right? You think about Gretzky. Those are the people that you want in control when the game's on the line. And so I don't think that we have to do that. And I, I still remember, Brian, I still remember saying, I'll never enjoy my success in my late 20s. Like my success isn't for me, it's for everybody around me. I don't know where I got that idea that I needed to be a martyr from. Well, did you have a good positive example in your life? Somebody close to you that had done it a different way? No. I mean, my dad, he still works Carolina half days, right? Like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. He's moving. Can't take a vacation. Need to move around birthday celebrations. Like nothing is more sacred than work. Except for church, right? Go to church, but like those two things are the most important things. So 
No, I, I didn't. And I, that's the answer is my example was that. Yeah. I mean, if you read Terry Real, he talks a lot about how as a man, you have the ability to stop this kind of wildfire of trauma that's been kind of running for generations, but you have to do the work because otherwise it just gets passed down from one generation to the next. Yeah. Yeah. It's a ritual, right? We just continue to do what we saw done. It becomes a tradition. It's programming. And I've been using this lately. I I just think it's time to reprogram. I think it's time to wipe the old system and then download a new program. And in no way, shape or form, am I encouraging people not to achieve in no way, shape or form. Am I saying you can't achieve and not do these other things in order to have prosperity. And I mean, you can be rich, you can be wealthy, but my deepest wish for people is that they have prosperity. You have to have time, talent, and treasure. And then from there you go find fulfillment out of your abundance, out of your overflow. And you get to pick whatever percentage that is, right? Some people give 2%. Some people give 20%. Others figure out how to live on 50% of their income or 30% of their income and do something with the rest. That's totally your choice. I'm not here to tell people what to do. There's no prescription because I think it's individualized. But I do encourage them to challenge the paradigm. I was listening to a podcast on the flight and the guy said, basically, after 13, we don't come up with any new thoughts about life unless we're intentionally challenging the paradigm that we have. Think about that. If you haven't had a quake moment, if you haven't had an experience where you're with people who think about the world differently than you, you're living your world through the eyes of a 13 year old. And that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. I think about this a lot with my kids who are you know, t- the two boys who are 10 and seven. Yeah. It's hard. You've got to really be intentional not to slip into these cliches and, and tropes that you find yourself in. It's not easy, but you're doing the work. And so I don't know if people feel like this is a somber episode, but I hope they feel like it's an introspective one. And I hope it inspires them to do some work. And my favorite phrase is your dreams should be real. And if you're not living out your wildest dreams, and I'm not talking about trying to figure out how to make so much money or have the most epic vacation so you can post pictures, If you're not living out your wildest dream or solving the problem that you know needs to be solved, if you removed all the restrictions that we tend to put on ourselves, what would you try? What would actually be possible? Just explore that. Entertain it. And don't take it to somebody who wants to get you back to reality. Take it to somebody who is wild enough to dream with you and explore that with you and see if you can stoke the fire so that you're inspired by it. 
And then I, th- I think you're in the right path. You, you'll end up being directionally correct. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, man. This is awesome, dude. <laughs> it's been a while. It's good. It's good. I'm very happy that you've achieved what you have. You seem like you're a good spot emotionally, business-wise. Good for you. I'm, I'm grateful. And it changes every day. Every day is a new opportunity. New facts present themselves, but we get to decide how we respond or react to those facts. It's our choice. And I think so many of us feel like we don't have a choice in the matter. Well, that, that's a big one. I think the story you tell yourself in your head and the narrative of your life, like if you tell yourself, I'm not good enough, I'm a piece of shit, I need to work harder that will play out in your real life. Whatever it's a mirror playing in your head. Yeah. It's a mirror. The external world is a mirror of what you see on the inside. Yeah. And that's a whole nother episode. Probably. <laughs> how can people, I mean, everyone knows you, but how can people get in touch with you if they want to? Everybody doesn't know me, Brian. And that's part of the reason why I'm here. This message isn't popular, man because it doesn't further the construct. And so I'm on LinkedIn. Brian and I are connected. Jerome Myers, I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina. And if you're curious about exploring this, um, itucktheredpill.co will let you learn a little bit more about our approach and see if this is something that you want to go on a journey and explore. I've dedicated my life to this. This is what I will do until I can't talk anymore. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Keep it you up. Too, brother. We'll do, another, we'll do another one in a couple of months. You're always working on new stuff. So, Got your back, B. You're a good man. Well, I am trying to put the work in, which considering the workaholism culture that I grew up in, I also have to be very conscious of just the concept of work and how I think about it on myself and in my business. So you get to set the boundaries, right? That part's a choice as well. When you live a boundary, boundaryless life and you're subject to the chaos that other people want to bring into your world, like this is the thing that baffles me the most about the money. Like the money is supposed to buy autonomy. The money is supposed to buy freedom. Yet, the more we get, the more entangled we seem to be. Yeah, a boundary is a place where in a relationship you can love that person and you can also simultaneously love yourself. And it, it gives operating parameters so that everybody is accountable the moment that you don't respect the boundary that you set is the moment that other people stop respecting it people will adjust when they know what to expect trust is all about it knowing being predictable and so if the parameters are in place and you honor the parameters then people can get okay with it really quickly even if they throw a tantrum in the beginning they get okay with it i think they want it Oh, yeah, because, I mean, 
the majority of us are five-year-olds, right? So we want the predictability, we want the schedule, we want to know the rules, and then we know how to play the game. It's when we don't have those things that we don't know how to play the game, and so how can we win? And that just leads to unnecessary frustration. All right, man, we could go on forever. We'll do another one in a few months and we'll have more to rap about, but I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do. I encourage people to connect with you and be in your ecosystem and world because it will make you a better person for sure. So actually, I don't know. It's been a while since we've done this. Start asking everyone that comes on the show. You, this might've been before, you, but do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Oh Yeah. So I spend the first four hours of most days by myself and it's actually become a little more, I don't know, refined lately, but there's running, there's weights, there's meditation, there's journaling, and um, there's some type of education, podcast, book that allows us to get in touch with self and then go out and use that to serve others. Well, thank you for sharing that, man. I'll talk to you later, dude. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for your time, bro. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. 